really cold intro. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, really hard shift. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. So I'm a critic of Christian music. Contemporary pop Christian music, I guess I should say. And by pop, I mean popular, because that's what pop is actually short for. And by popular, I mean the stuff that people are just generally listening to. The stuff that the common people like. That sounds really arrogant and, what's the word I'm looking for, patronizing. Common people. But that really is the best phrasing. And I might also note that pop music ought to be different from communal, congregational worship music. But it's not. Oh, but it's not. Anyway, common pop Christian music tends to be relatively simplistic in musical structure, musical content. Thematically, a lot of it tends to boil down to we suck, you're awesome, we love you, yay! And a lot of it is egocentric. And that really struck me today with a song that I heard in a congregational worship setting that boiled down to something like, I can trust you because you've never let me down. You won't let me down. Nope, you're not going to start now. I can trust you. I can build my life on you because you're not going to let me down. And that got me thinking, that's oddly reversed. As if the purpose of the whole thing were for God to sustain me so that I could be okay. And that's true, but ironically, that's not the focus. If we go back to Exodus and why God demanded that his people be let go out of slavery, a slavery in which their lives are not their own, a situation in which they are prevented from actively flourishing in life, not just monetarily or socially, although those are big things, and they were highly oppressed. That is an understatement. But within that context, and here's where maybe the medievals are going into the Southern Renaissance. By Southern Renaissance, I mean Southern Europe, where it started. The concept that in order to fully flourish, you need freedom of time and space, meaning that it is more conducive to growing in intellect and spirituality and those sorts of maturity, if you don't constantly have to be working for your subsistence. And God demands that his people be let go, so that they may go out into the wilderness and worship him. Alright, that's probably not a shocker to most people, but I don't think we've really actually thought about it. Why have we been set free from sin so that we may actively worship and glorify God? And in so doing, enjoy him. Which means that the purpose for which he sustains us, doesn't let us down, is so that we may more securely, more fully, live lives which are reflective of his glory, in line with his command, and therefore flourishing as the actual image bearer of the attributes and nature of God himself. So, Colossians. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Live according to that, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. 
just as you were taught. And what faith were you taught? Well, let's go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 has a lot in it. But, from what I've read, commentary-wise, and also just reading the dang letter, the letter to the Ephesians is a lot about the church. What it is, who's in it, how it ought to function within itself, those sorts of deals. And in the first section, you know, using the standard subheadings, Ephesians chapter 1, God reveals the mystery of his will. And what is that mystery? To bring all things together, to unite all things in him, meaning Christ, according to his purpose and the counsel of his will. And what is those all things? Well, it's people. Paul is talking to people in the city of Ephesus, many of whom are Jews, many of whom are not. And what is he doing? He's, com- he's saying that God is uniting the chosen people of Israel, which he has chosen, with non-Jews whom he has likewise chosen, and bringing them together as one people. And that those of the Jews who first believed, that is to the glory of God. Because Jews ought to believe. And the Jews are always supposed to be exhibiting the glory of God. And that those Gentiles who come in receive the promised Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of the inheritance. The same inheritance which is promised to the Jews. Which is, essentially, you know, they will be my people, I will be their God, living forever in that heavenly city. Eternal life, fullness of life, and all that. If you hear that, that's my rug. Because my cat is crazy. Alright, so moving on into the next section. In light of this... Paul, in this letter, says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is who he is, may give you, not spiritual wisdom, I mean, okay, yeah, I guess, but may give you a spirit of wisdom. Do a blue letter Bible word search, use the lexicon about what spirit actually is, but it's basically the rational faculty of of the human being, bluntly put have a rational faculty informed and mature in wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So seeing what is out there, that what has been taught and revealed to you about God, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Your heart, this idea being the seat of, or essentially the core of who you are, the seat out of which flows your sensibilities, your passions, your emotions, your intellect, even Having that enlightened so that there are three things you would know. And those three things are, you would know the hope to which he has called you. That's important. It's the same hope to which he has called the Jews. Trust in him, fullness of life, that sort of deal. That you may also know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Meaning, you know, the, uh, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, to quote one of the Psalms. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, basically, that which you, as a saint, as a holy one of God, which is what saint means, what will be yours, a 
upon inheritance, as it were, basically when the fullness of time comes, such as the fullness of time when a when an earthly parent dies and you inherit. When the fullness of time comes, this thing which you will inherit, understand it, not just believe that some nebulous thing exists, but know what it is. And know that it is yours. It is promised. And the third thing you are to know in your spirit of wisdom, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, is the immeasurable greatness of his power, which he exercises towards us who believe. And it is life-giving power. He proves that by going on to say what God has done. It was the same power that has raised Jesus from the dead and set him up and above all dominion and all this. You can go and read the letter for yourself. But, interestingly enough, never dawned on me, compare this with the paralytic from the rooftop. Mark's Gospel. Bunch of peeps bring a dude to Jesus. Can't get to him. Dude can't walk. Want him healed. You know, because Jesus is a faith healer. Hallelujah. Benny Hinn and all that. So they can't get to him, so they climb up on the roof. Impressive, since they also had to carry the cot or whatever with the dude on it up there. They dig a hole in it, and they lower the dude down. And Jesus is like, oh, that's some commitment. So Jesus looks at the guy and says, son, your sins are forgiven. They'd be like, hold up, screech, you know, DJ who just broke his equipment. And the Pharisees, chief priests and all that, they're beside themselves. Like, hey, heresy, said the Pharisee. That other people are probably like, granted, conjecture, but not unreasonable, bruh, you can't walk. I mean, that's great. You want to forgive sin and all that, but can't walk. We brought him to you so he could walk. Born to walk. After all this, Jesus basically looks at everybody, especially the Pharisees. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to give sin or forgive sin, turns a dude... Rise, pick up your mat, and go home. That's interesting. I would read somewhere in the commentary that Jesus basically proved that the harder thing to say is actually, um, your sins are forgiven. It's a harder thing to verify. How do you prove that? Now, amazing and impossible it is to actually just heal someone, you can verify that. And so as to prove that Jesus can do the harder thing, that he actually has the power to forgive sin, and you must trust him when he says it has been done, he heals the guy. Right there. Commands that it be so. And it is so. There's only one other, call it person, who does that. It's God. Genesis 1. God said, let there be. And there was. He commanded, and it was so. And so the third thing, we as Christians, especially the non-Jewish Christians who are now part of this inheritance, an inheritance that is seemingly foreign to us, promises that we must come to understand that the Jews have understood for millennia, which are new to us. We have to wrap our head around. The third thing we are to know in our spirit of wisdom, with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, is the immeasurable greatness of this power towards us who believe in him. This power which raised Jesus from the dead. The harder thing, or rather the verifiable thing, so we therefore should trust this power that it can enable us to live a flourishing life. 
sustain us. A power, a guiding spirit by which we can not carry out the desires of the body and the mind, which made us therefore by nature children of wrath, but rather living in accordance with his grace, doing the good works which he established beforehand that we should walk in them. That takes you into chapter 2. So believe it or not, the letters are actually not nicely divided like a pie. Separate pieces and all that. So, when God doesn't let us down, it means that the crap that we're facing in life, the cancers that done did came back from me or somebody else, failing out of school, the divorce, and this is where I'm going to say this, and it's not trite, and I have not experienced it myself. But these are those things that make Christianity all the more bluntly true. Yes, the murder, the violence, the abuse. We can get through these. We can withstand in these. We can even, as an actual full person, flourish or continue to flourish in these. If we really do trust in this God, who has proven his power by the resurrection of Christ and giving him life, he will also enable us to have life and that in abundance. Living life well and there is the church swinging back around to Colossians there it is oh turn the page Philippians Colossians there we go there it is as you have received Christ so walk in him rooted and therefore established In him, in the faith. So, there you go. Hope that's convicting. It made sense. Certainly convicting for me. Hope that wasn't trite, and that that actually, you know, meant something for you. I mean, God does indeed say that his word will not return void. So... Here's hoping the seed found good purchase.